Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fine show for you. Our friend Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio joins the show to talk about a variety of sports topics. First up is pro lacrosse. For the first time since 2003, when the Albany Attack played at the Times Union Center, the National Lacrosse League is back. The Albany Firewolves, who moved from Connecticut, will start play at the TU Center later this year. On Tuesday, I spoke with team president George Manius. George, uh, welcome to the podcast, and I uh, appreciate you coming on for a few minutes to talk about the Albany Firewolves. I mean, how excited are you to, I mean, I know we're not close to the season yet, but how happy are you and how excited are you to get going? Thanks, Ken. I appreciate you having me on today. I, uh, I, I can't even begin to tell you how excited we are, and, um, you know, just from all of the welcoming that we've gotten in the community, um, I've, I've been blown away by the support and really kind of the um, how big youth lacrosse in this marketplace is. I mean, we we knew it coming in, but just uh, really we've been welcomed with open arms, and it's been just so much fun over the course of the last two months since we made the announcement that we relocated the team uh, from Connecticut here to Albany and just launching the team, getting the logo set up, getting, the, you know, announcing our name and now really kind of putting the business operations side of things together. My staff has been uh, slowly trickling in, so uh, we're official, and it's and it's, um, it's exciting, and December will be here before we know it. Yeah, I mean, I know that we had the attack here uh, nearly 20 years ago. It lasted a, a few seasons, but how's the market now? Because to me, you see like, the lacrosse, as you mentioned, youth lacrosse, it seems that since then the lacrosse has really exploded and really gained in popularity. I know there's been a, a couple high school teams have been dominant around here but uh just the fact that it seems now that sport is gaining traction and really getting very very popular not only here but across the uh, country yeah and and that's actually one of the reasons that um we chose albany to relocate the team to is you know we were assessing the markets that potentially we wanted to to go to um first this is you know i'm familiar i've launched teams from here before I'm from the area, so I'm very familiar with it. So I had kind of the, you know, my pulse um, here, and it was really kind of getting uh, our ownership group to really seriously consider here versus some of the other locations we were looking at. And um, one of those reasons is exactly what you just said is, um, you know, 20 years ago the attack was here. Uh, it was a different world back then in many different ways, even the, the lacrosse world. Um, it's grown tremendously since then, and look at the success you Albany has had. Um, and, and really because of that, um, you know, the youth market is, is booming and there's a ton of great youth associations. There's a ton of great, um, you know, high school teams. And now our goal is to really translate the success the, the field game has had and, and really start growing and, and, and really focusing on, on the game of box lacrosse indoor game um and it, it's been tremendous and and that's the main reason we're here our goal is to grow the sport um this is the fourth team in new york state now you have buffalo you have rochester you have long island and now us uh so we're, we're absolutely in the hotbed of lacrosse well i i, I remember I, I grew up in philadelphia and i remember i go back to the days in the mid-70s of the 
when the Philadelphia yeah. Wings were in, the, they had a summer lacrosse league for two years there, and it was wildly successful there. I know this is this team was started as the Philadelphia Wings, uh, but it's yeah. it's, a, it's a physical sport, and it's a, there's a lot of scoring, and is that is that you know, in fact is yeah, an emphasis on offense will uh, attract people. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people are used to that the outdoor game from around here, and you know, love the outdoor game. Uh, what we'll bring to the table is a little bit different game. You know, so you're you're basically condensing that outdoor game into a hockey rink, um, and a lot of things happen when you condense that game. It gets more physical. It's faster. There's a shorter uh, shot clock. Uh, you know, there's you know, a hundred shots a game. There's you know, twenty goals a game. I mean, it's it's insane. Plus, you know, all the things that fans are used to as well on top of the game, the game day entertainment that we'll put on as well with, you know, um, you know, the parties in the atrium and the block parties when weather is nice and dance team and, you know, all the, all the fun stuff that we do with the music and everything else, our mascot. Um, so it'll be a great event. And I think, you know, for those people who aren't in currently in the lacrosse world, um, I think they'll enjoy the game because of exactly what you just said, the physicality of it, the high speed, the fast-paced action, and then all the game day entertainment that we'll bring into the mix as well. I mean, obviously, we, we, we've seen the success of the Albany Empire, and obviously they're coming back uh, uh, this year with in, in a new league. Just the fact that you're playing once you know, once a week, not, obviously not every week will be at home, but the fact that it's once a week, it's, it seems like it could be affordable entertainment for, for people to come out and watch, watch and support the team. Yeah, and we made sure of that. Um, you know, my goal is, you know, to grow. Like we said, we want to grow the sport of lacrosse. Um, and box lacrosse specifically in, in the capital region. And on top of that, we want to bring back what I feel the, the arena and the city has been missing since the AFL folded. Um, we want to bring back that level of entertainment and give people an option of something to do in the months of December through April, and then we'll play into the playoffs. I mean, those are the months that there's not a lot going on. Um, so we, you know, we'll, we'll bring that entertainment element. Uh, but more importantly, it's going to be very family-focused, friendly and affordable our cheapest ticket that fans can get it's an eight dollar ticket i mean you can't beat that we'll have five dollar tickets uh game as well uh, i mean for five dollars it, it's amazing you, and obviously we have you know more expensive seats uh on the on the prime locations but we want to make this very you know accessible and affordable to everybody and i again i think when people come and see the game and witness it once i think they're going to fall in love with the sport we're going to fall in love with our players who are going to be very active in our community. And then on top of all of that, they're going to just love the experience that, that you know, this is their team. They can rally around it. And, you know, I, one of the things that I didn't mention yet is the, the team that we relocated here from Connecticut was the number one team in the league last year when, it, when uh, COVID shut it down. So we're going to be very competitive and, you know, we, we anticipate, you know, going deep and winning a championship here very quickly. So um, it'll be a fun team to root for. Yes, Glenn Clark's your general manager, head coach. Now talk a little bit about him. What's he, what's he like as a coach and a general manager? I feel sorry for Glenn right now. He's uh, locked down in Canada and he's, you know, <laughs> yes. chomping at the bit um, to get here and, and be part of this community and, and spread his wings here. Um, but, um, you know, all the respect in the world for him. I think, you know, he's a class act. Um, the players respect him. He commands the room in the locker room. And, um, you know, he knows how to win. So um, he's got, uh, you know, he's been really putting this team together for the last several years. And, um, you know, we feel we've got a, a, a solid core group that's going to be competitive very, very quickly, as I mentioned. Um, and he's the guy to lead it. Um, we, we love him as our coach. I think the community's going to love him when they, when they get a chance to meet him. Uh, hopefully we can get him here soon, as soon as kind of the, the borders lift. 
I mean, how much of a concern was it with the pandemic? I mean, hopefully by the time you guys play, you know, the, the pandemic won't be as bad. But I mean, was there a concern, you know, you know, bringing the team here in the middle of a pandemic? You know, it's the unknown. Um, you know, we, we I don't want to say it wasn't a concern. It wasn't like high on our list. We, we've been monitoring it and we were monitoring it um, regardless we knew sooner or later the world was going to get back to normal. Um, and, you know, when it was kind of the perfect time to purchase a team and, and relocate it uh, during this time frame because, you know, if, if we were in a normal situation, um, you know, we'd be, you know, kind of in the heart of a season right now, playoff time. So it gave us the ability to kind of sit out the 2021 season, uh, the 2020-21 season, and really focus on the 21-22 season and get our business operations straight, get us into the community, get us, you know, up and running, hire our staff. Um, so the, the pandemic kind of helped us in Albany specifically. It wasn't great for the NLL as a whole, but for our franchise specifically to get us established, get us here, um, introduce ourselves to the community, and then, you know, get ready for the 2021-22 season. You know, you mentioned it, you know, we don't play until December, so I feel by December we should be at full capacity. Things are starting to open up. Um, even if we're at 75%, we'll be successful and, you know, we'll have enough fans in the building to be able to support it. Um, but we knew that, hey, there's potential. This could go backwards if, if things, you know, don't happen the way we hope uh, for COVID's sake. Um, and if it does, we're prepared for that. And uh, our, our goal is to be here for the long haul. And this was, you know, our way of, of getting into the league, establishing ourselves. And then if, if COVID does become a factor for this year, we are prepared for that. Uh, but we know that it'll be back to normal uh, sometime soon, and that's what we're preparing for in the long haul. You got a name the team contest recently, and the Firewolves won the, the contest. I know the attack was involved. The, the name attack was also involved. Uh, are you happy with the nickname, and uh, what does you think that represents? Oh, yeah. The, I, I think it's so unique, and I think it's fun, and it's us. It's our own identity. Um, you know, we really looked at it from many different ways. We, you know, we asked the community um, to put their input in. Um, at the end of the day, we wanted to choose the name that we felt most represented us and what we were going to be on and off the field um, and into the community. And uh, But we wanted that, you know, the community to, we wanted to hear their voice. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, overwhelmingly, uh, most of the people wanted the attack because that was what they were familiar with. Um, so we wanted to kind of, you know, when we saw that, we wanted to look back and say, all right, you know, do we really want to go where, you know, potentially, you know, the attack and, you know, where people are comfortable with, or do we want to create our own identity? And we wanted to create our own identity, but we wanted to also pay respect and pay homage to the, the people that, that came before us uh, in the lacrosse world here in Albany with the attack. Uh, first and foremost, their, their, uh, their mascot was a, a wolf. Um, so we like that component of it. And then we just purchased the New England Black Wolves and relocated them to Albany. So the common denominator there with the Black Wolves was the wolf. So we figured let's, let's build something around that. We also wanted to pay homage to the Native American indigenous community that invented this great game and that's big in this community. Um, and we spoke to them and, you know, they were telling us, uh, the wolf represents, um, you know, fierceness, toughness, loyalty. Uh, and we loved what that recommended. And, you know, we asked, we got, you know, really involved with them and dug a little deeper and, you know, to ask them, like, what other representations, um, you know, would they recommend? And, you know, they talked about 
fire and like fire is being, you know, the gathering point. If you think of a fireplace or a fire pit, that's where people gather and that's where people tell stories and they come together. And we kind of like that and put it all together. So you have the wolf from the attack and the black wolves and then you have kind of the fire mentality um, with fierceness and toughness of the, of the wolf and the alpha male. Um, you know, the den where we can get people to come and congregate and gather and, and, and kind of, you know, beat COVID together as well and gather once again in December. So there were so many different elements to this. And then we were able to, you know, with fire and the wolf create such a cool logo too. So we really love the way it came together. And I think it really tells, you know, folks what we are and who we are on the field. We're fierce. We're, you know, we're loyal, uh, to our community and out and out in the community, you know, we are a pack. And uh, we're one with our community, and the community is one with us. So there were so many different stories uh, to tell through this, so I, I really kind of loved how it shaped out. Well, secretly, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember the Albany River Rats that played hockey. I was hoping that maybe that would get some votes in there. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, there's so many different ways you can look at it of, like, going back to the old. Um, we wanted to create our own identity. This is something, you know, we wanted to plant our flag and, our, and, and really kind of have, have a team where people just – you know, 100% to rally around for the first time and, and be part of it. But, you know, we wanted to pay respect to everybody that came before us as well. Well, George, it sounds exciting. I can't wait to, you know, see a game uh, this season there at the Times Union Center. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I appreciate you coming on a few minutes, and we'll talk, obviously, as we get closer to the season. Yeah, anytime. Love to uh, love to share what we got going on. You know, we're just starting right now, so pretty soon we'll be really fully operationally up and running. The players will be in town and all that fun stuff. So uh, there's a lot going on, so please keep a, an eye on our website and our social media pages to, to see what we got cooking, and I think the fans are going to love what we're all about. Well, let me give you a chance to promote the pages, uh, our social media pages. Why don't you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our website is albanyfirewolves.com. And all of our social media pages are ALB Firewolves. Uh, please log on and, and take a look and uh, see what we got going on. And, you know, we got some great things going with the youth associations right now and youth programs and our Learn by the Pro programs. And then also uh, we're going to be announcing uh, this week as well our, our new foundation and how we're going to give back to the community, uh, calling it the Pat Gives Back. Um, so there's some fun things coming. And then, of course, keep an eye out uh, as we announce and unroll our ticket plan starting in a couple weeks. All right, George, appreciate it again. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. ESPN Radio's Freddie Coleman joins me next on the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, I'm Tom Anas, head coach of the Albany Empire. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Our good friend, uh, Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio, joining us now to talk a variety of topics of sports. And uh, Freddie, how are you, my brother? I'm good, Ken. How's everything with you in the Capital District? Everything is good. We're waiting for the weather to be nice consistently. It's been yeah, you know, cool, rainy, and it's been ew, yuck. And we're finally getting the uh, spring sports, uh, spring sports uh, high schools uh, going finally. 
Well, I'm glad that spring sports were able to talk about spring sports actually happening in this day and age, especially after last year when so many of that got shut down between the spring and the winter and the fall. So little by little, we get, we keep getting back to the things being somewhat they used to be, just with a different landscape more than ever before. Yeah, we just completed the uh, what they called the fall, too, which basically the, the, some of the fall sports played, yep. including football. We just got finished that, so now it's on the spring. It's just like nonstop, which I'm happy about because the kids are getting to play and uh, – yeah, I'll be, but I'll be happy when things get back to normal in the fall. Yeah, because football belongs in the fall. And believe me, I've enjoyed watching <laughs> FCS spring football in the playoffs on ESPN and ESPN2, but nothing says fall than having football where it's supposed to be and everything else following along on the same line. Well, we did have one game between Shenandoah and CBA. They played in the snow in late, late March. It was kind of cool. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, that, that kind of made it feel like a fall playoff yeah. game. Then. So they, that was probably in line. It's like Mother Nature did everybody a favor. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about what we saw Wednesday night with the NHL and what, how, in my opinion, they mishandled the whole uh, Tom Wilson situation. Uh, we knew what was going to happen Wednesday between the Rangers and the Capitals, and you know, one second in, we have a line brawl. How bad did the end? We had, we had what six fights in that first period, over 100 penalty minutes in that period alone, and how screwed up and how messed up did the NHL do this situation? Because they they had to know this was going to happen. Well, okay, I think you use the perfect words and screwed up because the NHL, the minute that Tom Wilson was not suspended and only fined five thousand dollars. And then you had his coach, Peter Laviolette, saying, you know what, I just saw nothing more than a scrum between players. That's been part of the culture of the National Hockey League, and a lot of people don't have enough backbone to stand up and say, we can't allow the Tom Wilsons of the world to believe that you can play that way and flip that kind of damage on an opposing team, and that's going to be okay because you know the opposing team is going to try to exhibit any kind of frontier justice when it's all said and done. You're not doing your sport any favors. And if the league's security department, the league's player discipline department is not going to do anything, then Gary Bevan, as a commissioner, you have to step in. But we saw exactly what we thought was going to happen. There was no way that the Rangers, they weren't even Ken worried about winning a game. They were going to let the capital and everybody know that you're not going to do this to our players and think that that's going to be okay. So in terms of old school hockey, yeah, that's exactly what you thought was going to happen. But that doesn't mean it's a good mark or a good thing for the NHL to have this kind of culture continuing, especially the Tom Wilson of the world getting away with it. You know, I know the league wants to get that their popularity out there, but this is not the way to do it with the – I mean, and I, I think you and I grew up in a time with the NHL when there was, you know, multiple fights. I, mean, I grew up in the Broad Street Bullies era down in Philadelphia with the Flyers. I mean, I, that team is still worshipped down there. But there comes a point in time when you have to realize Tom Wilson is a danger to this sport. And what's, what's going to happen if he kills somebody? He's, he, I mean, he threw Panarin down the ice without a head. Panarin's head, I mean, it could have been a lot worse than if his head got cut open and, you know, blood starts spilling on the ice. Yeah, well, and if you're the National Hockey League, how do you explain that away to, let's say to your point, can something very dangerous could have been even made worse if something really serious had happened to Panarin? Then how do you explain that if you're the National Hockey League? Are you going to be a reactive league or are you going to be a proactive league? Well, we see time and time again, more often than not, they're going to be a reactive league. But if you're Tom Wilson, if you have that kind of power of church and state, I wouldn't stop playing that way either because the NHL has told anybody who's willing to listen that that kind of person that kind of personality is going to be welcome in the national hockey league so if you're tom wilson i'm thinking why should i stop doing what's made me successful and allow me to be the kind of player that's kind of enforcer in the league if you're the national hockey league you should be more concerned more than ever before in the 21st century that something like that is not good publicity it's not good attention 
that's the last thing your league needs trying to get back to any kind of relevance, especially with a new TV contract on the horizon with ESPN, ESPN Plus, and TNT. Yeah, and the, the league suspended the flyer Shane Gossesbear for two games for a cross-check to the back of Mark Freeman late in the game uh, Tuesday night. And it, see, it, it just seems like the justice that's handed out doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, yeah, you give uh, Gossesbear two games for a cross-check, but you don't give Wilson anything other than a fine for and that's 5000 that's the maximum fine allowed you basically you know basically just you know, say okay no problem cross checks more dangerous than throwing somebody uh down to the ice without a helmet on i got a great tweet the other night on my radio show Cannon, which you guys said the difference between major league baseball and the nhl amir garrett incites a brawl between the cubs and the reds and he got a seven game suspension even though he can appeal it tom wilson, tom wilson body slammed two guys in the ice and got a $5,000 fine, and that goes to the inconsistency. The NHL wants to let everybody know that they appreciate the beauty and the violence of this sport. And a lot of that, and you're right, a lot of that goes back to the old 40s and 50s where you had that Gordy that Howe triple play, that Gordy Howe hat trick where you had a score and assist and a fight. It seems that a lot of that seems to be a permeating culture when it comes to NHL. And I get it. I understand that. That's part of your sport. That's part of history of your sport. But when somebody goes past that line, you can't allow that person to think they can continue to do that. And all they're going to get is a fine here, maybe one game suspension there. You continue to send those wrong messages, then you're allowing players to police themselves. And as far as I'm concerned, more than ever before, you can't allow that to happen with professional athletes in your sport. And the Rangers really added fuel to the fire on Tuesday when they issued a statement basically calling for the job of George Paris, the director of player safety. Now, George Paris, we know... Played in the league, but uh, he was known for being a, uh, a fighter and mm-hmm. wasn't you know, really not talented as a scorer, although he did play at Princeton University as so he's a Princeton grad. But, I mean, the Rangers, for what they did, I think a lot of you know, fans out there were applauding the Rangers for doing it. But then we see with you know, Wednesday more chaos with the Rangers that they fired team president John Davidson and, and general manager Gorton for, they claim, not, not uh, basically the team's not going in the right direction, but. That just seems James Dolan take, picked a weird time to fire guys that seem to be doing things well for the Rangers. James Dolan has done a lot of weird things with the Rangers and the New York Knicks and Madison Square Garden during his entire time being part of the ownership group or being in charge of the ownership group. And you're right. It was very curious timing that you have something like this. And then a day, two days later, you move on from guys making decisions. And oh, by the way, you had a hockey game that night. James Dolan and timing just never seem to go hand in hand in terms of the right time to do things or the time to not do anything. So I guess no one should be surprised when that happened because that's been par for the course for James Dolan. And especially, you know, Ken, he's feeling good that the Knicks are finally winning basketball games to be a playoff team. He finally believes that he can do something else and pick on somebody else. Yeah, now the Rangers really. are in his crosshairs from that standpoint. And uh, I wonder how many games, Rangers games, James Dolan goes to. I mean, I, I mean, you see him at the Knicks games all the time, but how often do you see him in a Rangers game? Well, put it this way. If you ever see James Dillon in a Rangers game, it's not going to be anywhere where fans are because Rangers fans are not like Knicks fans. Knicks fans will say something about you and all the other stuff. But Rangers fans, they might want to get in your face and have a chance to have a scrap on with the owner. And believe me, they don't mind taking on security or trying to get at James <laughs> Dolan. So you're never can't going to see him anywhere near fans, Ranger fans, because Ranger fans will let it be known with their words and maybe with their physical that they don't like what's going on. They don't like the ownership when it comes to how things are being run at Madison Square Garden involving their team. Yeah. Well, let's get to the NFL draft. Uh, last week, uh, three-day draft, back with the fans in, involved in, in Cleveland and uh 
We knew the New York Jets were going to take a quarterback uh, after they traded Sam Darnold to the uh, Carolina Panthers, and uh, they ended up taking uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, I think from listening to you uh, on your show, you, you weren't thrilled about you know, Jets going after Wilson. What is, are you still feeling a little skitterish about the pick? I'm going to be skittish about the pick, but I'll give the Jets credit. They stood in their guns and stuck by them to say that Zach Wilson is our guy at number two, but then they went out there and they got help for him. You get the offensive lineman from USC later on in the first round, and then you get Elijah Moore, who's only second, who was only second in the SEC behind Devontae, Devontae um, White of Alabama, who won a Heisman Trophy. Elijah Moore is a big-time receiver out of Ole Miss, so I give the Jets credit that they were not going to waver away from who they decided was going to be the quarterback of the future. And let's be honest, right now, Kim, the future is now with the New York Jets, but then you go out and you get them help. You get them an offensive line. That can, you can pair it with Makai Beckton on the same left side. Then you get them a wide receiver because right now they just don't have that wide receiver that can be that number that can change field position. So we'll see. But I'll give Zach Wilson a lot of credit for this. He understands the naysayers and the people out there that don't believe that the Jets are taking number two, and I'm one of those naysayers out there. But he's just not backing away from that challenge. If anything, he said, yeah, I've heard everything, but – Watch me work and see exactly what I'm going to do. And I think that went a long way with a lot of goodwill that he was able to get by letting Jets fans know that you may not believe in me now, but I'm going to make sure you believe in me when it's all said and done. So I give the young man a lot of credit. It could have been very easy to shy away from that. Nope. He put his head down, put his helmet on, and met that challenge head on. So I'm hoping to to be wrong. I want to be wrong with this. And believe me, if I'm right about this, I'm not going to be happy about it. But the Jets were able to go out there and fortify him just a little bit. So give Joe Douglas, the general manager, and Robert Salah, the new head coach, a lot of credit to say, we drafted this guy, but we're going to make sure he's not going to have to do this all by himself. How important is this draft for Joe Douglas? How important was this draft? I mean, I, mean, I don't know if his job's on the line, uh, but he's got the coach he wants. He's got the quarterback he wants. Uh, I mean, do you think his job is on the line? I mean, how important was this? It was an important draft because if you're going to start a new regime all over again with a new head coach, then, yeah, you better hit on some guys, and you better hope that the three guys you took in the first three rounds you're going to hit on. But I don't think Joe Douglas's job is on the line, mainly because he was doing the bidding of Adam Gase. And if anything, the Johnson fans should be ashamed of themselves allowing Adam Gase to have that kind of power church and state. If you're not going to find a general manager that can be the general manager, the coach is supposed to report to him, not the other way around. You can work in concert together to find the best piece for your team. But other than Bill Belichick, you should not be in charge of an organization. And that was the problem with the whole deal. Now Joe Douglas had a chance to put his stamp on this team, and I thought he did a great job with that. What he was able to do in offseason where he didn't just go after free agents. He went after pieces that he believed along his head coach. These are the kind of guys we want to bring in. And then you got in the draft, and whatever identity Jets are going to have, we know that's going to be. Play tough defense, run the football, play action your quarterback and not make big mistakes and play close to the best. You can find guys that are going to fit what you want to do as a football team, and they were able to do that. So I give Joe Douglas a lot of credit from the standpoint of that stench of Adam Gase is no longer here. Now I get a chance to work with a coach that I know knows what he's doing, or at least I believe I know what he's doing, and we can go forward and put that in our rearview mirror a lot sooner and a lot faster than anybody could have anticipated. If you're a fan of the New York Giants, you felt screwed by the Philadelphia Eagles when they tanked the game against the Washington Reds, uh, Washington football team in the final game of the regular season, costing the Giants the NFC East title. Then the Cowboys oh. and the Eagles, two bitter rivals, conspire yeah. to make a draft day trade. The Eagles move up ahead of the Giants and end up picking Devontae Smith. And if you're the Giants, you figure like, we're getting screwed by the Eagles again? 
Here's the deal, Ken, and in the words of the great Nino Brown from the movie New Jackson City, it's business being never personal. And if you're the New York Giants, win more games and you're not in that position to worry about such things because a team, any organization is going to do what it feels best for the organization, whether it's on the field or off the field. So if the Eagles and the Cowboys made a draft day trade, hey, so be it. Those two teams decide to do that. There's nothing you can do about that if you're the New York Giants. But here's the deal if you're the Giants. It's all about what you're going to do to help out your quarterback. You get Saquon Barkley back. A lot of people had a scratching head moment when it comes to get Darius Tony, the wide receiver out of Florida, that he traded back for. They get him with the 20th pick. So if anything, if anybody's job is on the line to, to me in New York when it comes to football, it's definitely Dave Gettleman because he has not exactly knocked it out of the park when it comes to free agent signings and draft picks. So if he believes trading back and getting that wide receiver can help his football team, that's fine. But if you're Dave Gellman, you can't all of a sudden say, well, the Eagles screwed us last season and the Eagles and Cowboys screwed us again. Dave Gellman's done a really good job at times screwing the New York Giants. <laughs> Could not be putting that out there about other teams in his division doing that to his football team. I mean, uh, to me, it's like if the Cowboys and Eagles getting together to make trades, like cats and dogs living together. <laughs> Oh, no doubt. The only thing missing from that was Barry White music and Blue Lights in the basement because I never thought in a million years, Ken, I would see those two teams doing something like that. But it benefited both football teams. The Dallas Cowboys are able to get that defensive guy they need in terms of Michael Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. He's going to help that football team. And if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you get a wide receiver that's going to help your quarterback when it comes to Jalen Hurts. You want Jalen Waddle. You want the trade to get him. So that's the guy you wanted that you believe with a new coach and a new quarterback, essentially. They have that comfort level. So it wasn't a case of screwing the Giants. Both of these teams were helped by what they were able to do with the Eagles getting their guy and the Cowboys not having to give up a lot to get the guy they really need on defense. And the funny thing is, I mean, I was talking with Pat Leonard of New York uh, Daily News last week. He covers the Giants, and we talked about the fact that Dave Gettleman talked about, said he never traded back because he didn't want to get fleeced. Well, he ends up, not yeah. making, he ends up making two trades in the draft. So uh, do you think he's, he was panicking at that point? That's a really good question. I don't want to say panicking at that point, but Dave Gellman has not always seen the right checks that is behind his inactive cash. And why would you put that out there the week of the draft that this is why I don't trade back? And then you go and do it, and people are starting to question your credibility as a general manager. Sometimes the best thing is if you know a lot, say nothing. If you know more than that, then say less. And Dave Gellman has never been able to figure that out as a general manager. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he clearly understands that there is a hot seat situation with him because he's made a lot of promises he has not been able to keep with the New York Giants. Because what do we hear, Ken, when he first got the job? I've been part of seven Super Bowl teams and seven championship teams. And people like, well, those teams got the Super Bowl, but you didn't have a lot to do with it. So he was able to put his pedigree out there without having a lot of, a lot of stuff on his resume to back that up. So... All of a sudden, now you're trading back. You have a chance to do this. You do these kind of things. At the same, that's not why you want to do those things in terms of getting police. It seems that he clearly understands where his, what his situation is. I think a lot of that is leading to maybe a lot of panic moves here and a lot, I want to say, paranoia, but a lot of man. I hope I'm doing the right thing because if I'm not, I'm going to be out of a job in 2022. Yeah. Let's go over to the NBA. And uh, we talked about James Dolan a little earlier in the year, but uh, as you mentioned, the Knicks, surprisingly, are going to be in the playoffs. Uh, you know, the number four right now, the number four seed in the East. I mean, how remarkable a job has uh, Tom Thibodeau done? To me, he's the coach of the year in the NBA, and it's not because of what the Knicks have been able to do. It's how they've gone about it because many people question 
Tom Thibodeau being the Tom Thibodeau of old when he coached with the Chicago Bulls and Minnesota Timberwolves, where younger players rally around his coaching methods. Well, he's been able to adjust but not go away from what he believes are the bases you're going to need to win a basketball game, to win basketball games and get into the playoffs. you got to be tough on defense. you got to rely on your guys in crunch time. And Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, also Derrick Rose, they've been able to step up more than anybody could have anticipated. So give Tom Thibodeau a lot of credit that he always has this team prepared. You may beat the Knicks, but more often than not, they're not going to beat themselves. And once they were able to win some games, and Julius Randle was able to be that guy to raise everybody else's level, we've seen Tom Thibodeau done a great job being able to pitch and pass and hit the right buttons. So even if the Knicks lose a game like what happened last night at the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets are really good. That's a team that could contend in the Western Conference. But it's because Denver had to play that kind of game. The Knicks aren't giving games away. And that was something that we had not seen from this basketball organization since 2013, which was the last time they made the playoffs. They have a very good idea of what they want to do and how they want to go about it. And, Ken, I've always believed this. If you're going to be any kind of team with any kind of substance, I need to look at you and say, okay, that's their identity. No matter what you do, you can't stop it. I know the Knicks' identity. They're going to run through plays through Julius Randle. He's going to be their playmaker, and everybody's going to be the perfect kind of justice league to the Batman that they have. And so far, so good with, with what we've been able to see from the Knicks being the fourth seed right now in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and of course, right now, top three, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. The Brooklyn Nets, uh, we know they're a good team, but they can't stay healthy. We, Durant's been out. Harden's out. Uh, Irving's been out. I mean, can, can, can they keep afford to have these guys out come playoff time? Because if they're, not, if they're out... I mean, they it could be uh, you know one series and out. Well, I don't know about one series and out. I wouldn't go that far <laughs> because even if they don't have the full complement of guys together, you're going to be first or second seed. You have no business losing to an eighth or a seventh seed. So I don't believe they're going to be a one and done in terms of a first round and out. But I will say this: the way that the Milwaukee Bucks were able to beat them on Sunday, then on Tuesday, it clearly shows that all right, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are fantastic. But James Harden has to be that orchestrator, so they can't wait to get him on the basketball court. And if he is right his brain when the playoffs get started, it's going to be very hard to beat this basketball team. Because you know, you got three dudes at any given time can score 30 points. And in the case of James Harden, can score 25 points, get 20 assists at any given time. So that's the one piece that Kyrie Irving has done a really good job of filling in, and so is Kevin Durant. But we've seen with James Harden orchestrating everything you are not going to beat that basketball team. Their best defense is going to be the fact they can outscore you putting up 125, 130 points per game. Now, I will say this. A team like Milwaukee, a long basketball team, can give a lot of people troubles on both ends of the floor. So that is one thing they have to look at, that they can put a long defender on Kyrie Irving and slow him down just a little bit. But they have all those three guys together, and they're really on the same page together. I think they're going to be good luck to anybody trying to beat this Brooklyn Nets team in the Eastern Conference. Well, being a Sixers fan, I'm hoping the Nets are one and done. <laughs> I hear you. And believe me, Philadelphia, if anything, Philadelphia and Milwaukee may be more motivated than the Brooklyn Nets because I'm sure that both of those teams are sick and tired of hearing about the Brooklyn Nets. When they get those three together, nobody can beat them. you got two prideful dudes on two different teams, and Joel Embiid in Philadelphia and Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Milwaukee Bucks. So believe me, there's going to be a lot of blood on the floor. Let's say if four polls and we get a potential second-round series involving either the Nets, excuse me, the Philadelphia 76ers versus Milwaukee Bucks or the Nets versus the Bucks and the Sixers get that top seed. It's going to be a lot of fun in the Eastern Conference semifinals and form holes that way. And the West isn't looking too bad either. I mean, Utah and Phoenix battling for the top spot, Clippers, and LeBron James and the Lakers could end up playing the uh, playing tournament. 
Yeah, the West is loaded, and it's loaded each and every year. And the NBA is definitely afraid of having LeBron James and the Lakers in a one-and-done situation. They do not want the Los Angeles Lakers can in a first-four situation where anything can happen in a play-in game. And that's why you heard LeBron James really against it when last year, when right before the bubble happened, he talked about a play-in situation was not a bad idea. He didn't have to worry about that last year. This year he had to worry about it. All of a sudden he's raising his voice saying this is a whole bunch of nonsense. Look, LeBron, you win games, you don't have to worry about it. Handle your business or the business is going to handle you. And if anybody should know that, it should be a guy that kind of pedigree that LeBron James has had on and off the court in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Steph Curry, I mean, I watched the game recently against the Sixers and and, and, this, and before that against the Celtics. How does he not – how does he – do what he does. He's just amazing. Doesn't seem to miss, and just you know, takes thirty-five foot three pointers and swishes them. He's so good moving without the basketball, and I think that's something about his genius, Ken, that a lot of people either don't want to look at or fail to see. Uh, he reminds me of a shorter, quicker Reggie Miller because Reggie Miller was so good at running off screens, but not like this because Steph Curry always is able to find that open spot to get an open look. There are plenty of times he doesn't need a screen. He'll just run you to death because he's in such great condition that he's able to find that spot. And when you don't pay attention, he gets loose and he has a wide open look at the basket. That's why I believe he's the best shooter I've ever seen. I'm talking about NBA, college basketball, high school basketball. Because of that ability to know exactly how and when and where to get to that open spot. He has that kind of genius to see the basketball court before anybody else is to see, okay, if I get to that spot before that guy can get there or get there before he realizes it, I'm going to get a wide open look at the basket. When you have that kind of ability and guys know you're going to pull from 30 or 35 feet, it can make shots easier for Steph Curry. We've been able to see that this year. So what is this going to look like next year with Clay Thompson is back? And you got both of those guys in the basketball court at the same time. Then you got a James Wiseman on the inside and Draymond Green orchestrating the whole thing. You better get Golden State now because they're fully healthy next year. Good luck to anybody in the Western Conference trying to deal with that team if they're in full strength. Yeah. Well, Fred, as usual, I appreciate your insights on sports and uh, enjoy uh, your time. And uh, I always, like I said, I always enjoy your time coming on here and uh, we'll talk again soon. Oh, it's a pleasure to my brother. You take care of people all of these days. All right, my brother. That's Freddie Coleman. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by 2nd Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to DailyGazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union Women's Hockey Coach Josh Skiba. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. 
Back to wrap up the podcast. Week 11 of the NASCAR season is in the books, and the winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest is Frank Jubik of Troy. Frank wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Frank. The VIP winner was Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. The Parting Shots podcast can now be found at odyssey.com. I hope you subscribe to it. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank George Manius and Freddie Coleman for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I am Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports. Be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.